Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We just got done with a West Coast road trip. The Bulls are back home in Chicago and we just got we just got done watching them beat the Knicks in a rock fight, a game that didn't really make great viewing at all. It was a very scrappy affair, but I guess anytime you beat the Knicks ass, it is a welcome view, viewing experience. On the show, we get into the key storylines, issues, and trends that have emerged over the past few games. And here to talk all things Bulls with me is my old mate, Will Gottlieb. Will, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, anytime, like you said, the Bulls coming off a win against the Knicks, something to smile about. For sure, for sure. And something else to smile about, Will, is the fact that, um, well, look, it's, it's up that you're on the show actually this week around. And I say up like as if we didn't plan it, but, um, <laughs> I alluded to this on the last podcast, at least the closing of the last podcast. There would be some, some news in relation to Bulls HQ, some changes coming the way of Bulls HQ. And, uh, I guess I can, um, you know, fill in, I guess, the listeners as to what's happening. And, you know, like I said, you're on this podcast this week, but going forward as well, you will be on the show, well, every other week, basically, or not every other week, every week going forward, because you week. are going to be my co-host on Bulls HQ going forward. So I'm very excited about that. Hopefully you are too, mate. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad this is a development that's, that's happening here for Bulls HQ, because, you know, whilst I've had a lot of fun um, having a rotating cast of guests that have appeared on the show over the last four or five years and you know you've been on before as one of those guests i am equally as excited if not more to have you come in and, and be my fixture uh, permanent co-host uh, going forward so i'm um, happy to have you mate welcome to the show and uh, welcome to bulls hq thank you sir yeah it's i'm honestly really excited to come out of podcasting retirement so to speak and uh <laughs> i mean you've been just an absolute animal recording these every week, multiple times a week on your own. I don't know how you do that, but I'm happy to help share the load, Damar and Levine style. Um, well, yeah, for sure. You, <laughs> you picked a good time. And I was going to say, are we the Damar and, and Levine of Bulls podcasters now, or are we more like, I don't know, like Javante and Derek Jones Jr.? I'll take Javante and know. Derek Jones. That's not a bad... Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some people will disagree and think less of us. Maybe, you know, Denzel and Ryan Archidiakono of Bulls podcasters. Okay. Hopefully, I right. don't think that. Got to give um, us some credit here. <laughs> <laughs> some credit would be nice. But um, look, you've picked a good time to get back into it because... The Bulls are good again. Whilst I've been toiling away watching shitty basketball for, for a number of years, and look, to be fair, you have been too, but uh, you, you made the wise decision of not necessarily to podcast about this dumb team for the previous three or four seasons, but you're back now. The Bulls are good again. The Bulls are back. So Will's back into the podcasting game. And it's just fun talking about the Bulls more generally now. And, and you know, this, this team is a good team now. And after beating the Knicks going 12-5, and five, the team sits atop of the Eastern Conference at this point. So... I mean, it's just a complete 180 to where we've been. Um, where we're going is very exciting. And, you know, it just makes it makes it really fun to be talking about the Bulls again. I mean, they just beat Denver in Denver for the first time since 2006. Now, granted, Nikola Jokic wasn't playing, but still, like, that's a tough road game, particularly like that being the last game of your, your five your five yeah, five game road stretch in in uh, on the west coast there so i mean that in itself is an impressive win coming back home and then having a game pretty much immediately against the Knicks, a team that the the bulls lost to and maybe aren't at least maybe designed from a roster construction point of view to be to set up to be set up well against the Knicks, but they still found a way to win this game tonight so yeah things are turning up bulls and um yeah i'm just it just makes it really fun to be a bulls co- a podcaster at this point Absolutely. Yeah. I've like my friends from growing up in high school are like texting me again about the Bulls. Um, you know, like you said, you and I have been watching every, if not almost every game over the past couple of years. And it's been, um, you know, an experience to, to stick with it through, you know, I, I think this stat is correct that they had the worst record in the NBA over the past five years. So uh, kudos to all of those who stuck with it. But Finally got a good team, finally got an exciting team, and I tweeted this out after the game, but like, this is exactly one of those games that over the last five years, you know, just 99% of the time, they would have found a way to yeah. drop the ball here. So it was mm-hmm. ugly, it was a, a slugfest, but uh, a win is a win, and they and they closed out, and they've been doing that so far this year, so um, very exciting stuff. Yeah, and look, the positive here is they're doing this out, uh, doing all this without Nikola Vucevic, who remains in health and safety protocols. There was a, an update today, I believe, that he's getting, or he's through, getting to the cardio stage of of the health and safety protocol. I don't know what that necessarily entails. I don't know what the 
you know, every single step of the health and safety protocol is, but it seemingly sounded more positive and that he's getting closer to returning. I'm assuming he's not going to be playing against the Pacers tomorrow night, but nonetheless, maybe on this uh, road trip coming up at the end of the week, maybe we see Vooch back then, but but the high-level point here is they're getting this done without Vooch. I mean, Vooch wasn't great before he left, but nonetheless, like he's still a valuable tool, a valuable, valuable player to have on the on the roster. But to go on that road trip to be three and two, probably be, should have been four and one on that road trip. But nonetheless, to to end three and two without Vooch, the way they've adjusted on the fly without Vooch, I think like again, like we're talking about a very good team, but we're talking about a well-run unit as well, where out of nowhere. The team has just found something with Derek Jones Jr. Uh, at, at, as basically the small ball center, whether it's Derek Jones Jr., whether it's Javante Green. Like, they've found something there. Billy's been super creative in that sense. So I'm assuming that whole Derek Jones Jr. small ball thing is something that will remain. It was clearly something that the Bulls went to here against the Knicks. And maybe they were a little fortunate against the Knicks because uh, Mitchell Robinson and Taj Gibson weren't playing. So maybe that sort of played in the hands of the Bulls a little bit, uh, given the fact that that small ball unit didn't really get beat down by that huge Knicks front line. But, I mean, what what have you made of the Derek Jones Jr. small ball thing? Do you think it's something that's feasible going forward over the season? Is it something that remains when Vinch, uh, Vooch returns? All that sort of stuff. I mean, h- how do you feel about it? Yeah, I think just zooming out a little bit, there have been plenty of moments over the past five or six or however many games where just Vooch's presence has been really sorely missed. And I think people are getting a little frustrated with his cold shooting stretch to start the year. And Mm -hmm. I mean, he was missing layups. He was missing wide open threes. He was like popping out to 12 feet and missing those on those little side pick and rolls. But um, his value to the team, whether he's making or missing shots as a short roll creator, as I think he's been really good. Uh, in drop coverage on pick and rolls um, mm-hmm. and just like making Tony Bradley be the guy who comes off the bench as opposed to starting games. Like <laughs> he provides yeah. so much value. And so um, I think the first game or two after he went down, it was very apparent that he was gone uh, moments against this Knicks game. Absolutely the case as well. But like you said, I think they really found something with Derek Jones at the five um, super switchy lineups, really long, obviously incredibly athletic and get out and run like there was a couple uh fast breaks over the last couple games where it was like Lonzo handling and uh Derek Jones and Zach Levine flanking him uh and that's just got to be absolutely terrifying to to play defense against but um I absolutely think they got something they're versatile which is something that they haven't been in the past couple years and yeah it'll definitely have a place when Vooch comes back but I think it's nice that Billy can kind of weaponize it when it makes sense as opposed to kind of having to lean on it and rely on it um, maybe as much as he has been the past few games. Yeah, 100%. I think, and I think weaponize is the right word. Like the Bulls kind of had to go with it tonight against the Knicks. They didn't really have a, a, a ton of options, even more so because there was a lot of a lot of fouls going on in this game. I mean, the, the refing wasn't great, let's say. Um, but nonetheless, like Javante was in foul trouble. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. had fouls himself. Alex Caruso had Lonzo fouls. So picked like, up three fouls in three yeah, seconds. Yeah, it, yeah, like that was insane. So like the refing wasn't great, but nonetheless, like Billy had to lean on it some. But at the same time, like to your point, like about weaponizing the small ball lineup, like we saw that we saw that absolutely destroy the Nuggets. Now again, Jokic was out. Maybe that's not something that happens if Jokic is playing. But nonetheless, like you had Derek Jones Jr. in that game, and he had at least three dunks as the role man uh, in those small lineups, which was super super impressive against the Nuggets. So. Yeah, it it will be a nice, just a nice change of pace because it'll be it'll just be completely opposite to what you get out of Vooch. But I felt like this Knicks game they really did miss Vooch, like particularly when one of DeRozan or Levine is off the floor and teams can sort of engineer their defense to really just basically if they're not you know doubling or hedging hard on the one the, that one player, then they're scheming somehow around that to to make life really difficult for one of Levine and or DeRozan as the lead guy, particularly in these lineups when there's not a lot of shooting out there, which is why Kobe was huge tonight, and we'll, and we'll come back later on and talk about Kobe, but. I guess that's the one floor of these smaller lineups is that whilst they're super athletic and switchable on defense, there's not a lot of, let's say, offense or shooting on that on within these units, particularly if one of DeRozan or Levine is off the floor. So, like, that's the, I guess, the one 
drawback that I have on these small ball units and, and how sustainable they are. But I also felt like that they really missed Vooch tonight. Like as that release of Alba's on the corner as a, you know, a playmaking option from the, from the elbow as a passing hub sort of thing. Like that's where we've really missed Vooch. And I can't wait to get him back for those reasons. Like that play, that playmaking and creation reasons. I think he's going to be huge for, for Lonzo. I think he's going to be huge for Kobe as that, you know, once the ball swings and you get into that secondary action, having Vooch doing stuff there with Lonzo and Kobe, like that's where it's going to get really interesting for this team. Yeah, I mean, there's a trade-off with the small lineup for sure. This is not the uh, the Warriors' death lineup of 2016, yeah. 2017, to be mm-hmm. sure. But um, yeah, I think the the thing that makes it work is that you have Caruso and Lonzo, who I definitely want to spend some time talking about just as yeah. um, just, I, yeah, I think I've been talking about them a lot as point of attack defenders. Um, you know, you've seen a ton of Lonzo free safety defense, transition defense, um, weak side help stuff. But I mean, those two guys like make the entire defense work. And uh-huh. yeah. when they picked up fouls tonight, um, and were both on the bench, like the defense was just not good. Uh, even yeah. though Caruso did a pretty fantastic job on Randall, like he's giving up a ton of size there. And Vucevic, like, again, I don't think he's like, you know, Joel Embiid rim protector type, but like just being seven feet tall, clogging up the paint and like knowing where to be and having good hands like that goes a really long yeah. way. Um, mm-hmm. You get a, another big body to throw at Randall. It just like sets everybody into their place in the rotation. So, yep. I mean, I, like I said, I think the Bulls found something that they can use um, when they need to with these small lineups. And I think they're super exciting with Derek Jones in the dunker spot or even spacing it out. Like you said, um, there's mm-hmm. not a ton of space like Derek Jones, AO, um, Damar Caruso, even to a certain extent, like these guys are fine shooters. Their percentages probably look okay, but they're, they're a little bit hesitant and it's easy yeah. to, to sack off and clog the paint. So, um, just to have that ability to get out and transition, um, I think really helps those those lineups space out a little bit, but Vooch again is going to just make life so much easier on all of those guys. Yeah, I, I guess the open question I have right now is like, how does how does the rotation rotation change when Vooch is back? But maybe maybe more importantly, like how does the starting unit change if at all? Like obviously Tony Bradley will go to the bench, Vooch will come back in, but like, do you think do you think Caruso stays in that starting unit because? I don't, it makes sense. Like it makes sense to have Caruso as a starter, but I thought we sort of saw the limitations of that tonight in, in as well, in the sense that, you know, if you're going to rely on Caruso to play heavy minutes, there, he is susceptible to picking up fouls. And again, like I mentioned before, the refing stunk. So maybe some of these fouls weren't, you know, weren't, weren't all good all, all good calls on Caruso, but nonetheless, the dude, when he had five fouls, he's putting himself in the, in the lane to, to draw charges as well. So like, I guess my point is like, the more he plays, the more he's going to go after it, which I guess brings more risk in the fact that he may pick up fouls. So I don't know. Is someone like Caruso someone that will remain in the starting lineup? Do you think that? Do you think that continues to happen when when Vooch ha- uh, comes back? It, it kind of felt like initially, at least, that it was a situational thing on this West Coast road trip where you know Billy put him out there to to match up against Paul George, and then it just stuck, obviously, because they beat the Clippers. But do you, do you think it's something that continues once, you know, Vooch is back? Well, I guess the question is, like, who else would be that guy? So you have Vooch replacing mm-hmm. Tony Bradley, right? And then you still yep. have that, like, wing spot, I guess, depending on if you call DeRozan a three or a four. So it could go yep. to Javante. I don't think it mm-hmm. would go to Derek Jones just because of the the spacing limitations there. Mm-hmm. Um, So I could see it, but I do also kind of see Caruso as like the defensive equivalent of a microwave scorer where he just like comes out and can, you can kind of like stagger him and Lonzo defensively almost. Um, I mean, he's better than that. And I think he is capable of playing 30 minutes as he did tonight, but uh, I can kind of see him in either role. Um, So it's kind of a question of, of who you would rather start there, whether it's Javante uh, you're, you just get really small if you don't, do that maybe Trey Brown comes back into the rotation um but it's another reminder that like we're we're also missing Pat Williams here who i think yeah. would have been just in terms of player archetype the perfect four to slot in 
Yeah, certainly from an archetype point of view, that remains to be seen if it would actually be effective. Right, but nonetheless, right, right. I, I, I I certainly get your point. But I, I guess with Derek Jones Jr., like whilst he was playing good as a backup four previously when Tony Bradley was effectively the backup center before Vooch went out, like I almost think you have to treat Derek Jones Jr. as a center, like the way you use yep. him on offense, that is, as totally like that agree. role man. And that's where he was super effective against the Nuggets, but more generally being effective regardless of who the opponent has been. So I'm not... I kind of feel like it's almost like Derek Jones Jr. and Tony Bradley playing that backup center position depending on, on matchups. And like maybe in this game here, you run DJJ or maybe you go Bradley if you're playing really huge teams. But I almost, I'm almost at the point where I've seen enough of this DJJ small wall stuff that I want him to remain the backup center. Does that mean you start Javante? I don't know. Maybe you keep Caruso in there. But I, I guess if Caruso is going to be starting and he's going to, or you want, ultimately want him to close games as well, then you need an additional six minutes out of him, let's say. So he just needs to right. be a little bit more um, calm. <laughs> let's just say he needs to be a little bit more calm or a little bit more wise in where he's throwing his body around, how aggressive he's being, because we just can't afford him to pick up fouls. And similarly tonight where Lonzo had, like you said, referenced um, the you know the three fouls that he had in the space of a couple of possessions. Like those guys can't get in foul trouble because they are the anchors of this defense, which is insane to say. Like, because they're, they're bringing more than point of attack defense. Like both of those guys were switching on to uh, Julius Randle. They're both guarding him. That, you know, Julius Randle is effectively playing center for the Knicks. So at, you can make the credible argument that Alex Caruso or Lonzo Ball was, were, were playing center for the Bulls tonight. So uh, they're super important. I don't I don't mind the idea of both of them starting, but they just got to be a little bit uh, more careful with their fouls. Yeah, I think it, it, it just continues to remind me of the difference between this this team and last year's team where like it's just not going to be traditional where you don't mm. necessarily have your standard 6'9", six, 6'10", six, power forward starting um, – every game like i think you can you can mix it up uh there's never necessarily going to be like a starting rotation that comes in and then like the whole tom thibodeau bench mob comes in so i think that there's going to be a ton of staggering and mixing and matching of lineups um Mm -hmm. like you said i think he's just going to need to play those extra few minutes and it's an adjustment for him too right like he's been um you know spot starter at times but he was a bench guy with the Lakers and now yeah. he's stepping into a much bigger role. He's still probably learning that. Uh, and he's obviously like doing an incredible job, but I think that comes along with it where like, you know, you see oftentimes uh, a big man comes in like Mitchell Robinson, for example, his rookie season, he was averaging like two and a half blocks per game in 12 minutes. Cause he can just come in and get five yeah. fouls in 12 minutes and he blocks two and a half shots when the role expands and he's got a, not bite on every single shot fake and risk fouling on every single um, attempt, then those numbers kind of go down. I think Crusoe's having to make that same adjustment, but from a guard standpoint. Completely agree. And look, as much as it's working and look, the, the four-man unit of Caruso, Levine, DeRozan, and Lonzo, like they're plus, well, they've got 11 and a half net rating, something like that, over 100 possessions. So they're absolutely killing teams, that four-man lineup, which isn't really a surprise. The Bulls have been a very good fourth quarter team. That's generally when we see those four out there, typically with Vooch before he was out, obviously. Um, but obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a, a very effective lineup and it will remain so, I, I believe. But for whatever reason, despite it being super effective, it feels like I don't know, through through periods of this game, maybe it's not necessarily in the first quarter, even though that, that was the case in the first 10 or 15 games. But I guess my main issue with the team right now is is the half-court offense and the fact that it can sort of get bogged down at times. And maybe that would, would happen less if guys like Caruso or Lonzo weren't maybe so inconsistent with their jumpers. Like you, you'll have one game where Lonzo buries seven threes and then he'll follow that up with one or two makes on, you know, you know 20% shooting or something like that. Caruso tonight wasn't very good from the from the field despite getting nice clean looks. He he just completely botched an open layup which he, sh- he should have made. So I'm not, I don't want to be overly critical about these two guys because they bring so much and the Bulls lose this game and so many other games with, without their defense. But... I don't know. I don't know what the cause of the stagnation of the half court offense is at times. Whether it's defense is just like loading up on Levine or Demar, like we spoke about before, when one of them is on the court and there's just a bunch of non shooters out there with them. I, I don't know what the one thing is, but I guess the one holdup I have for this team right now is their, I guess, inability at times to score in the half court. We saw that tonight against the Knicks, where. 
whether Levine was, I don't know, whether he was annoyed, whether he was struggling, whether it was the refing getting to him, maybe it was just still being tired from that long uh, West Coast road trip, but like he was making questionable decisions in the half court. Previous to this game, we saw DeRozan struggling, at least from his own scoring in the in the, um, in the half court. So I, I, I haven't put down, at least I haven't found a specific issue to it, but I don't know if you have a reason as to why they're struggling to score in the half court. And maybe struggling is too strong of a word, but they, they go through stretches where, you know, they let teams get back into the game because they just can't execute in the half court. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting too because it's something I was actually fairly confident in. We did the podcast right before the start of the season and I, I thought for sure that they would have, that was, that was going to be sort of like their bread and butter is the ability to just mm-hmm. get a bucket in the half court because that's what DeMar does. That's what Zach does. Yeah. Um, so it's been a little weird to, to see them struggle at times. I think part of it is Vooch being out. Again, that just like eliminates one of your top three options there. Um, but we also see it working when they go to the DeMar Levine pick and roll. And so I think that's still going to be their most consistent and potent offensive action that they can run. Uh, but they just like, haven't necessarily gone to it time and time again, um, sort of saving it for, for those closing situations. I definitely am a little bit concerned just from like having watched this team for the last couple of years that they can sort of let their foot off the gas pedal a little bit where yeah. they mm-hmm. go up at the start of the game or at the start of the third quarter and then they've got a 10 point lead like they did tonight and then they just like let these teams get back into it and I feel like the roster is completely different right it's been totally overhauled but for somebody who's watched this team for the last several years for Zach who's obviously been a part of all these losing teams you would think that they would want to just like really put their foot on every team's throat when they have them down and it seems like they just haven't really done that. And mm-hmm. to this point, you know, they're 12 and five, right? They don't necessarily, it hasn't like come back to bite them um, in a big way. I think they let the the Nuggets back into that game. They closed them out. They obviously lost to the Blazers, but uh, that's something I would like to see them really get into doing because I think they've shown the ability to close out some of these games, but there's no reason to keep some of these games close. So uh, whether it's the half-court offense like you're talking about struggling or Vooch being cold and sort of having to reshuffle the deck there while he's out, um, it is a little bit concerning. But I think ultimately that should be something that they can go to pretty reliably uh, in close games when they matter. Yeah, for sure. I'm assuming they'll work it out at some point. I mean, even if things bog down into isolation, you you do have Demar, you have Levine, you've got two of the better isolation scorers in the league. So theoretically, like if if it does get to that point where both teams just trading ISO possessions, we should feel confident about the Bulls coming away with that with an efficient offense. But nonetheless, I don't know, it just it just doesn't feel right. But nonetheless, uh, another emerging pattern, I suppose particularly in these closing situations, maybe to get the balls out of these sort of scoring ruts or scoring droughts that they maybe do go to, particularly late. We've started to see more DeMar Levine pick and rolls to end games, or at least DeMar DeMar Levine two-man action. And that's maybe something that's more feasible when you don't have Vooch because you're playing five-man out or you're playing five smaller guys. You You can play small, small pick and roll type action. Whereas if Vooch is out there, I'm assuming he's going to be setting the bulk of the screens. So again, that'll be an interesting thing to track when Vooch is back. But Nonetheless, we've seen a lot of DeMar Levine pick and rolls. We saw a lot of it against the Nuggets. The, you know, If you go back and watch the final, I don't know, five, ten possessions of the game, there was a lot of two-man stuff between those guys. We saw a lot of it against the Knicks tonight as well. So that's a pattern that's emerged over the last five or so games, particularly on this West Coast road trip without, without Vooch. And it's similar like to the, to the Derek Jones Jr. stuff, like, you you found something there because Vucevic is, is out, but at the same time, you've you've may have found something here with Levine Demar pick and roll with Vuce being out as well. So, I don't know what have you made of that. To me, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense. It, it seems to be super effective. I, I I have no idea how to had how, how to how the hell you got it. Like Austin Rivers had no idea how to guard the other night. Um, but it I don't seems know if Austin like Rivers knows to how to guard anything. But yes, yeah, but look, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. But um, yeah, I, I don't know how you guard it. I don't know how sustainable or how much the Bulls can go to it with Vooch if Vooch is on the floor. But I don't know. It, it's a nice trend nonetheless. Yeah, I think actually 
Vooch could make it even more potent just because mm-hmm. he can space the floor. Like they can put him in the yeah, corner okay. instead of yeah. the dunker spot where Derek Jones is. And and you have that um that little lob pass on the short roll with Derek Jones, which you probably don't have with Vooch, but I think um yeah, with Lonzo and Caruso uh also spacing, there's just so much room to operate for those guys. And like you said, against the Nuggets especially, it was like probably the last ten possessions of the game and they were just like taking turns just eating in the mid range, which is awesome. And I think um, when you when you brought that up, it reminded me also that they've been going to a lot of pick and roll with Alize Johnson and Derek Jones as the short roll playmaker guys, and that's probably yeah. something else that's been contributing to the lack of uh, half court offensive success. Um, I think they're going to involve Vooch in these pick and rolls down the stretch of games for sure, but I mean. There's no reason to only have one unguardable option at the end of games, right? Like they can uh, they can get away with having a few. Like those three guys together are just going to be impossible to to defend. So um, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to like track as you said uh, where the usage goes. But I'm not really worried about that part coming together in the end of close games because you do have all that spacing and you do have the the post touch with Vooch and the pick and pop with Vooch. Um, and just Zach and Damar being so talented. Um, yeah, I think they're in a, in a good spot there. Yeah. And, and look to your point and, in, and, and the last time the Bulls played the Knicks, the, the closing shot, I guess, for the Bulls was a, a two man game between Levine and Damar where Vooch was sort of popping out or not popping out or rolling into the corner, let's say for, to, to space, to space for those two guys. Now, my issue with that play was I was, I was hopeful that Vooch would go into the opposite corner and not send Mitchell Robinson as help for that DeRozan fall-away shot that he missed last time the Bulls played the Knicks. But to your point, like that's when you can have Vooch out there as a, as a shooter. And if you've got Lonzo out there as a shooter as well, and maybe you toggle between Caruso and, and Kobe in those lineups as well, depending on the situation, like you could have Levine, uh, sorry, Lonzo, uh, Kobe and and Vucevic sort of spacing the floor and letting uh, Terosin and Levine do their two man stuff, particularly in those ISO sort of positions or when there's maybe like four or five on the clock or something like that. You've got a sideline out of bounds play and, and you run something similar to what they did the first time against the Knicks. That it could be potent in that sense, but again, like against the Knicks, if you're playing against drop centers where you can have Vuc sort of space and set the screen, then it, then it then it's, it does make a lot of sense as well. So. Yeah, they've got some interesting things to play with. There's still so much upside on this offense, and I think that's that's the encouraging thing here. Like I sometimes I, I catch myself wondering, you know, is this all too good to be true? And I look at the half court offense, and I'm like, how how are they winning these games without the half court offense being, you know, more efficient than the mid pack than where they're currently at at the moment? But like we just spoke about so many reasons as to why why there is upside with this team. And, and we kind of saw it in the fourth quarter as well with Kobe White going berserk there. And Kobe was, I mean, Kobe's been back for a couple a couple games now. His first couple games were very bad. His game against the Denver Nuggets wasn't good. His first three quarters against the Knicks wasn't good. But then Kobe does what Kobe does and just catches hot and draws three threes and sort of takes the balls from a point where they were losing this game to being, you know, five or six points up. So, yeah, I mean, like if we're talking about upside, obviously Vooch's upside because he wasn't great before he came back, but Kobe's upside as well. And maybe he's found money in a sense and, you know, it's going to take him some time to get back. But we kind of saw some flashes tonight against the Knicks where you, you can have just Kobe spotting up and hitting threes like he did tonight and it just adds a level to this offense. He, I mean, he saved the game tonight. He was awesome. And uh, I know there has been some chatter about whether he should be... <laughs> With the Windy City Bulls or with the uh, the NBA team. And, uh, I mean, obviously, it's a matter of, of confidence for him um, and just getting hot, which is, like you said, exactly what he does. And um, I it just makes the Bulls so much harder to guard when they have him out here. And you, I, we were talking about, like, who comes in with the starting lineups. I think there's a, probably a lot of flaws with uh, Levine, Kobe, um, DeRozan, Vucevic, defensive yeah. unit for sure but uh i mean if you can just score like one and a half points for per possession it, it might just work so um it was really nice to see kobe start to get hot tonight um whether or not he's like i mean he's not the the lead guard that i think 
Garpax and even Billy to a certain extent and AK wanted him to be last year, but now he gets to be exactly what he is, right? Like he's a gunner. He can come in and just shoot the lights out. And he did that tonight, saved the game, but they just have so many guys that can be really potent offensive weapons. So um, on nights where Zach is off, like he was tonight, I mean, very invisible at times. Kobe finally gets it going. Um, Lonzo had a couple of threes in the first quarter, but then didn't do anything else offensively for the rest of the game. And, and DeMar started to get hot. So they just have guys that can pick each other up. And again, going back to last year, they did not have that. So it's really nice that this team is just so complete and versatile. And I still don't feel like we've seen the best of it, especially offensively. Yeah, yeah, for hundred percent, hundred percent agree. I mean, whilst we're getting everything out of them defensively, I think yeah, the offense. And look, this is the funny thing. Like we can talk about the offense not performing at its peak level or what we hope its peak level can be, but they're still like six or seventh in offensive rating. So like, I know it's wild. That, that, like they, that's the bizarre thing. They yeah. don't. I like this is anecdotally, but like it doesn't yeah. feel like they've had a great offensive game yet. It's just Demar no. going off, which is which is awesome. And actually I I was looking into this a little bit and I want to hear your take is that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was wondering like, is he just having an incredible mid range shooting season? Like how does this stack up to his previous career numbers? And, um, it's pretty steady across his career. Um, he is though plus 10%, uh, over last year on short mid range jumpers. Um, I wish I had the numbers exactly in front of me, but he's minus 10 on long mid range, meaning he's shooting 10% better from short mid range, which is like four to 14 feet and 10% worse than last year on mid range shots from 14 feet to the three point line. And it evens mm-hmm. out to be his career or not his career average, but the average from last season. Um, so I don't know if that's just like an odd anomaly or if that will like level out in some way. But I mean, at the end of the day, he, he's, not shooting that much better uh, than he has been shooting the last few years from the mid range. So it doesn't seem like what he's doing is, is fake or going to regress too far. Yeah. Look, this is, and maybe this is just like a microcosm of this team more generally where I like go back and forth, but like Damar as well, like to your point, like what is, what he's doing right now and the level that he's doing it to, like how sustainable it is or is it, and that's a constant question I have, like particularly over the last couple of games where Demar was like shooting thirty five percent in uh, against the Blazers and and the Nuggets. Like his own offense wasn't great. Nonetheless, the Bulls were still using him as a as a key focal within the um within the offense, and he's still a, like driving the offense to a degree from a passing standpoint or a play play creation standpoint. So, but like from his own percentages, like how sustainable this is, like I I just don't know to be honest with you because. I guess he's never really been in a situation like this before. And and like we can look at career numbers, bef- you know, for DeMar, whether it's his shooting percentages, whether it's his on-off numbers, all that sort of stuff. But whilst the, there is something to that and we shouldn't throw that away, like I, don't, I also don't know how relevant that is as well because he's just never played with someone like Zach Levine before. Yeah, the context and is just, so different. Exactly. Like, so I, I have a hard time trying to to understand what these numbers mean in reference to this, what his career numbers at least mean to, for DeMar in reference to this particular season because to your point, like the context is so different. When you have another guy like Levine out there who will draw, you know, potentially the other team's best defender as we saw against the Sixers where Levine was getting the um, the tie sort of uh, minutes and DeMar was left to, to take the other, you know, whoever that, who else, you know, whoever the other wing defender that they want to put on that uh, on DeMar, like he, like that enables him to maybe prop up those percentages because he's not necessarily going up against the, the Matisse Tybal, whereas in San Antonio or Toronto or whatever it may have been, he would have been getting that Tybal type matchup. So I go back and forth between like thinking this is not, this is not sustainable, something's going to fall off. And then also coming back to maybe the, the very C red version of myself and thinking, but hang on, like you've got Levine here. Ultimately, when Vooch is back as well, like you'll have another offensive weapon who can help him. And he hasn't played with a center like Vooch either, either. So like, I, I don't know what to make of it. I'm obviously just going to ride it for what it is right now. It's, it's you know, 15, 16 games into it. Um, 17 yeah, games a, even, it, I think we're in. So it's a, it's a decent sample. I was just going to say, like, I think it's another example of why that um, DeRozan Levine pick and roll is so dangerous because you can't, like if you are going to trap that, which teams have done, 
um, you just give it to Zach popping for three or at the free throw line and he can go at the basket or kick it out, whatever. Um, or same for DeRozan if Zach is handling. Uh, or you just like let him go one-on-one against somebody and I'll, I'll take my odds there. He's shooting 50% on mid-range shots. So like that's a great look. And I, I agree that like he just hasn't had the opportunity to either give up the ball and let somebody else make a great play or just go one-on-one and do what he does best. So um, I think the there's probably a little bit of noise with this just because the sample size isn't super high yet and 57% on short mid-rangers is, is going to come down, but he's only shooting 40%, 39% on long mids. So uh, I think what he's doing is real. I think it's going to stay consistent. And like you said, I think the the context around him is elevating to elevating him to a level that um yeah I, I think the the national media the 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 critics of some of these signings just like didn't account for uh hmm. what the team around him would look like um because he probably still has that reputation of being the guy that he was you know when he was 26 in Toronto yeah yeah 100% agree and you know same thing with Lonzo same thing with Vooch like a lot of their perceptions about them are, are based on you know, when they were part of shittier situations. Same with Levine. Like, you know, Levine has never played with any of this level of talent before. And, you know, he's been part of just terrible teams and people wonder why, you know, he can't lead teams to playoffs or whatever it is. And then, you know, in the minute you put him with good players, uh, the the perception and, and the takes start to change. It, it, it is kind of dumb, but nonetheless, uh, I, I, I get some of the skepticism, but Yes, it, we don't. Yeah, the, we, the don't level to, of the, we don't need to relitigate yeah, yeah, this entire right, thing. But right, like, right. Uh, making the playoffs, like winning at a high level in the NBA, is hard to do. It just is, yep. and uh, it becomes much easier when you have a lot of good players, uh, and especially guys who like want to win and figure it out together. So, I think this combos has been great. I think they will continue to be great. I think Vooch will make them better. Um, Hopefully Kobe continues to shoot like this and not like he did the first couple games uh, and he'll continue to make them better. Um, but I, but I think what DeMar is doing so far is absolutely real. And before this game, the bulls were plus 17 and a half uh, net swing, meaning um, the bulls were 17.8 points per possession better with him on the floor versus off the floor. And that's like near Steph Curry levels. So uh, he's, he's uh He's been awesome. He just has taken this team to a different level and allowed Zach to to be more of what Zach is at a certain point. I mean, he's another just like offensive scoring beast, and he doesn't necessarily have to be that guy who creates offense, but they make each other better at that. So I think the the combination has been great. I mean, yeah, the the results are following. They're they're twelve and five. Yeah, for sure. And look, this is not an exact comparison because they're very different players. But I mean, whilst there have been comparisons between Levine and Booker, obviously CP3 and DeRozan are very, very different players. But like when you put Paul next to Booker, you can allow Booker to to just be the best version of himself and not have the onus of being the the lead guard, the playmaker, the creator, the the main focal hub on, on... you know, the Suns, like like he was in years past. Whereas you put him with another playmaker, another guy who can sort of draw that attention like they have with Chris Paul, you, you get the best version of of of, um, of Booker by him still being the same type of guy, but you just get the best version of it. So I, I feel like it's very similar in Chicago now where obviously DeRozan is a very different player to Chris Paul, but nonetheless, you've still got a, a guy who's just a major, you know, central force within your offense, probably the best creator the team has in, in the half court. And I don't know if Levine's... I mean, Levine's playmaking has improved incrementally year on year, but I don't think it's gone to a level where, you know, I would be I would be comfortable him running the offense type thing. But because Damar is here and you can get him the ball, you can just let Levine be the best version of himself, with just, which is just this ultimate scorer. And we saw that against the Nuggets where he went completely psycho in that fourth quarter and then, you know, he took over that game. But nonetheless, in the final few possessions, it went back to Damar and he started controlling the offense again. And I mean... It's interesting, like that that was a takeaway I had from that game was like in those moments when Zach has got it going, do you want to go back to DeMar and have the offense run through him? But at the same time, like the, the amount of poise he has, the, the the fact that he's so good at getting to the free throw line, then there is a lot of validity to it. 
I'm this is the theme of the podcast for me is like the difference from last year to this year is that it's so easy to load up on a guy like Zach Levine when his best like teammate out there is Denzel Valentine or whatever. Like it's just <laughs> easy to load up on that guy. And now you have DeMar yeah. and you've got to load up on him. And then all of a sudden Zach gets loose and scores, you know, eight straight points uh, and a couple of long threes. And then the defense is freaking out about that and they've got to go load up on Zach and that gives DeMar space. Um, it makes that pick and roll just impossible to defend. Um, even if they're isolating and they don't want to bring two to the ball, it's just like those guys can score at will. Um, and the pressure, you know, they, they kind of level out the pressure on one another and it just makes them so much better. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I, and again, t- touching on a theme that we've maybe touched, uh, discussed on this podcast, but like this team is super good right now, but I, I don't know if we fully appreciate how good they are despite us always talking about things that they can improve on. Like we talked about the half court situation. We talked about rotations, how the offense will ultimately get from maybe the 70% of its output at the moment to, you know, 95, 100%. But despite all that, they're 12 and five. They've got a top 10 offense and defense. They're fifth at the moment in net rating. They're a top of the Eastern Conference after this win. Do you think we've, as a fan base, fully comprehended how good this team is, particularly right now, the fact that they're on a 58-game winning pace. Like, I, I know everyone's happy, everyone's jovial right now, they're enjoying Bulls basketball, but do you think we all have, I guess, come to grips with understanding just how good right now the Bulls are playing, like to the level at, at least at, at, that they're currently playing? I think I'm of two minds here. Like, uh, just on a surface level, again, I just don't feel like they've played the rest of basketball, so I don't necessarily think... I know what they can be yet. Um, but here mm. they are coming out of like an incredibly tough November schedule. Uh, like you said, what was it? 58 win pace. Like, I mean, yeah. Blowing away projections um, without Vooch, without Patrick Williams taking over against good teams. Um, albeit some injured teams, you know, no LeBron, no Jokic, obviously no Kawhi. Um, but these are good playoff level teams. And, Again, not something that we would have seen last year. So uh, I, I definitely understand that this team is a lot better. Um, and I think what I've noticed so far is that like my my feeling of what the floor can be or what it should be is a little bit higher than mm-hmm. I may have suspected. I think I like yep. on our preseason pod said like forty four something wins like that. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, they're gonna yeah. I think they're gonna beat that. But mm-hmm. I mean, is the ceiling sixty wins? I don't know. Mm. It, I mean, maybe. So that's that's kind of where I'm still unsure is like what that ceiling is. But I think the floor uh, so far is definitely higher than, you know, even the people that were already high on this team. It's higher than what they would have thought. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, if I just think about last season and look, this season, the Bulls have a 5.4 net rating, which is really good. And compare that to, to last season, the Sixers were top of the East. They had a 5.5 net rating. The Bucks, who won the championship had a 5.8 uh, net rating in the regular season. The Suns, who obviously won the West, had a 5.9 net rating last season. So comparatively, like the Bulls are right there with you know, three of the best teams from last season. Now, obviously, this is over a seven, 17 game sample compared to a 72 game sample last season. So, you know, there's ebbs and flows to this thing. But nonetheless, just to give the listeners some perspective as to how good the Bulls have been through 17 games, like it's to the point where you're, you're talking about a top one, two, or three team in a conference. Now, obviously, the, the trick here is for it to maintain. But nonetheless, like through 17 games, whilst, like I said, whilst we've all enjoyed these first 17 games whilst it's been a, a great reprieve from what we've what we've been through over the last three or four seasons I, I don't know if we fully have uh i guess appreciated just where things are at right now despite like all the upside that's, that is still to come and, and maybe i'm going to regret saying all this stuff but, and maybe i'm being too c-red it like maybe one more injury and and, and things just completely derail the season or something like that but but nonetheless um at least i haven't been uh, maybe fully comprehending how good this team has been. Uh, I think the one time where it kind of occurred to me was that uh, quote that Steve Nash, after a, a tough Nets loss, said something about like them not being on the same level as the best teams in the league, like the Warriors and the Jazz and the Heat and the Bulls. And just mm-hmm. hearing the Bulls back in that <laughs> category of the top teams. Um, and like you said, I mean, they're right there. They're 
fifth in the league in point differential, right below the Warriors, Jazz, Heat, and Suns. Um, the what is it? Cleaning the glass uh, expected wind total is fifty six point seven. So like these are elite teams we're talking about, um, and I think we've just been so far removed from them being an actual good team. Like even the the prime Jimmy Butler year, they won 41 games. They haven't like yeah. had a, a true like elite season since Derek Rose. Um, so yeah, I think we're just like having to wrap our minds around it a little bit. And, you know, it's only, it's what, like 10, 20% of the way through the season, a lot can change. Um, but they've been banged up and they played hard teams and they beat some of the top teams in the league. So, uh, they're definitely, for real, I think at the very least we can say that. Yeah, and look, maybe we can close on this because there was a stat going around post game from Stat News, and essentially the the, um, the tweet that contained the stat basically said, you know, through the the last twelve games, the, play, the Bulls have played you know twelve straight games uh, against you know five hundred or more teams. So the Jazz, Celtics, Sixers twice, the Nets, Mavs, Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, Blazers, Nuggets, and now the Knicks. The Bulls went eight and four through that twelve game stretch. Coming into this stretch of games at the start of the season, I assumed, you know, if you could go 500, like that would be a super outcome. To even go 500 without Vucevic, like that would have been huge. Um, not to say that Vucevic obviously missed all those games, but he missed the last six. But the fact that they've gone eight and four through that 12 game stretch without Vuce missing, you know, a number of games, it's huge. Like it's huge. It's it just, and I've, I've continuously said this, but like it just lays. The, it just relays like a super fo- a solid foundation for the rest of the season going forward. So if you've already amassed 12 games now or 12 wins now, you know, and, and the fact that you've got 60 odd games to go, 65 to go, like, yeah, I think we have to recalibrate our previous expectations. Uh, yeah, I, not too much to add there. I think the, the fact that they are banking these wins against great teams, like he's, I mean, I think I tweeted out the schedule before the the or like after the first couple of games they had like a couple of uh like Pelicans and Pistons a couple of times to start the year but like after that it was a gauntlet and they lost to the Warriors and they lost to the Blazers which is a bad loss but like that happens and I think they've put away teams that they should be putting away and they've competed at a high level with teams that are really good and I think that bodes really well for the playoffs too and all that being said, I still don't think they've played their best basketball. So they're going to be good. Yeah, 100%. And look, game's coming up this week. It, it gets a little bit easier. They've got the Pacers tomorrow night, which, you know, that's it, theoretically it's an easier game, but a back-to-back after a, a tough West Coast road trip, maybe it's a trap game. But then thereafter, the Bulls go on, uh, on the road for the remainder of the week. They've got a game against the Magic. They've got a game against the Houston Rockets. You would assume they're both wins given that those two teams are two of the worst teams in the NBA. So we'll see what happens against the Pacers. Maybe it's a schedule loss just based on how things are going. Maybe the Bulls just proved me wrong in that sense. But, you know, they've got two winnable games towards the end of the week. So things should just continue humming, humming along, which is the, uh, the positive thing. But uh, look, let's close the podcast here, Will. Bulls got a good win against the Knicks. Things are just going world, uh, going good in Bulls world at the moment. So um, very good. And, and maybe we can just leave it there. Like we, we started talking about you coming back into the podcasting game just as the Bulls have gotten good. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad obviously that you, you, you've chosen to do it here on Bulls HQ. So uh, thanks for joining me, mates. And um, I'm happy to say that this will be a weekly thing going forward. So yeah, I can definitely speak to you next week about the Bulls continuing to win games. Yeah, I'm... Excited uh, that there's good basketball to talk about, and I'm excited to uh, to join you and, and talk about it on a weekly basis. So uh, this is definitely going to be fun. Um, I've been kind of itching to get back into covering the Bulls in some capacity. I think I kind of have been off of the beat, so to speak, um, not letting you know people eat what I kill. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, yeah, it's good to be back. I'm, I'm excited to be doing this pod, and uh, yeah, it's fun to just catch up with you every week. Well, I'm not sure how many people will understand that reference, but I got that reference, and um, I appreciate <laughs> it's it. Probably, <laughs> probably just uh, us two and Stefan. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, maybe a handful of others. But uh, nonetheless, mate, thanks for jumping on. And uh, we'll catch up next week. Follow Will on Twitter at Won't Got Leave. Follow me on Twitter at MK Hoops. You can follow Bulls HQ on Twitter as well at Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to send us an email, bullshqpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord, send me a DM on Twitter. I will drop you an invite. Alternatively, there will be an invite to the Discord within this episode description. Um Hopefully, you guys enjoy this podcast. Obviously, it's going to be a different look and feel to, to Bulls HQ going forward. I, I believe, the uh, as my good friend C-Red Fred likes to say when he's on, um, but I, you know when he says it, it doesn't really feel right, but I think with Will on the, on board going forward, like the collective IQ of Bulls HQ has risen with Will's <laughs> presence. So um, I, I'm hoping you guys will uh, enjoy Bulls HQ more going forward as well, because I, I certainly will be... Uh, you know, for me at least, it was it was a bit stale, I suppose, doing the, the same old thing. So it's it's been refreshing for for me to change things up, and hopefully you as the listeners uh, enjoy it as well. But um, Will and I will be back next week. I, like I said, hopefully we're talking about more Bulls wins. I've got a feeling we will be, given what this team has been dishing out. So uh, speak soon, Bulls fans. <laughs>